You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Lala reported contact with an alien vessel described as cube-shaped. We're coming with every available starship to assist, Captain. But the closest help is six days away. Star Trek The Next Generation The Best of Both Worlds on dazzling high definition Blu ray. If you do not withdraw immediately, you will surrender yourself or we will destroy your ship. What the hell do they want with you? One of television's most powerful cliffhangers is now available as a feature length double episode. The captain has been altered by the Borg. Altered? is a Borg. Ranked by TV Guide as one of television's top 100 episodes of all time. I am Locutus of Borg. And nominated for five Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Achievement in Special Visual Effects. We're no longer just fighting the Borg. We're fighting the life experience they've stolen from Captain Picard. Now, how the hell do we defeat an enemy that knows us better than we know ourselves? We will proceed to Earth. And if you attempt to intervene, we will destroy you. Then take your best shot, Locutus, because we are about to intervene. This exhilarating release is loaded with special features, including an all-new group commentary track and a gag reel recently discovered from the original camera negatives. The bad idea. <laughs> Plus a behind-the-scenes making-of documentary. That was just a really well-written two-part episode. It had everything in it. With Best of Both Worlds, the stakes were so high, and the idea that Patrick had been taken by the Borg, and that I say fire at the end of an episode, was huge. Mr. Worf, fire. Star Trek The Next Generation, the best of both worlds. Coming to high-definition Blu-ray April 30th. Resistance is futile. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are going to take a, a pretty much deep dive into what I would consider to be the best Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Now, the series ran for seven seasons with a total of almost more or less 176 or 77 episodes. So you're talking about a lot of episodes to pick from. So what I did is I went down the list season by season and started plucking, you know, the most memorable ones that I, that appeal to me at least. Granted, a lot of these might not be in everybody's top 10 list. So I narrowed it down to about 41 of them, believe it or not, because I kind of plucked, you know, from every season a couple here and there. Some seasons are going to be much bigger than others in terms of how 
you know, good the episodes were. And that's indicative of the general feel of how this show ramped up and got even better and better as it went along. And it peaked somewhere towards the middle and then towards the end of the show. You know, the latter half of the uh, of the show is when it really, really was fantastic. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to break it up into two parts because there is so much to go through. So let's get started with part one of the best Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Television is not the truth. Television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. Okay, we're going to start off our best uh, Star Trek Next Generation roundup. In order, we're going to hit season one. Now, my overall feel for Star Trek, you know, we have so many versions of Star Trek available. From the oldest, original, to the newest, Picard. Uh, there's what you would consider different flavors of Star Trek. Just like there's different flavors of Star Wars. You have the movies, the television shows, the animated shows, you know. You have so much consumable media out there that depending on what you prefer, it is possible just to focus on that. You don't have to hit every one. However, you would imagine that a true fan of whatever it is that you're following, you know, whichever franchise you're into, you know, you would hit all of them to get a feel, you know, to, to have an opinion, an educated opinion. I've heard many times people would like, well, I've watched a couple of episodes of uh, DS9 or Voyager or Next Generation or or Discovery or Picard, whatever. And it's like, well, and I realized it wasn't for me. That show just wasn't for me. Now, okay, I, I understand, you know, the, the, there's a lot of time involved in, in actually going through that whole thing. You know, it's kind of like reading a book. Do you really read an entire book before making up your mind? Or do you read the first chapter and decide this book's not for you? I guess there is no rule. It's whatever you're more comfortable with. However, at the same time, you really cannot honestly give a review of a show, you know, from beginning to end, if you don't watch the whole thing. You can't review a movie if unless you sit through it. You can't sit through 10 minutes of a movie and walk out of the movie theater and say, this is the worst movie in the world. No, you have to go through the whole thing to be able to do that. Or you can just say, listen, I know I haven't seen the whole thing, but by watching three or four episodes, I just could not, you know, it's not for me. I can't do that. I can't commit myself to to have a uh, a full opinion on the matter. But anyway, my point to this is that the more I think about Next Generation, and I'm going to find out the hard way, <laughs> I think, because I haven't done the math yet, I do tend to think that Next Generation is my favorite one of all of them. Part of it is because it was the one that happened while I was, you know, a television-watching individual. Original Trek, the original series, I watched in, as repeats, as, as many people did. You know, I wasn't around in the 60s, so I, I watched it in the 80s as syndicated television, like, like a lot of people did. But Next Generation, not only was it happening while I was here and I was watching it live and I was recording it on my VHS and I was making copies of my of my recordings. <laughs> I also got to tour the set before the series even started. And I've told the story a couple times, many times before. 
It was a fluke. I had a connection that was able to give me a tour of Paramount Studios, and it was all Star Trek. We visited most of those indoor sets a couple of months before the show premiered. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and because I was so connected to that, you know, you're talking about 1987, I think it was, or something like that, 86, 87, you know, I was absorbing original the original series on syndication i was going crazy over the movies you know the movies all of a sudden you had star trek 2 which exploded and it was like the most amazing star trek film ever and then the sequels came so around that time it was also oh my god they're actually going to do a new series it was you know the stars were aligned so i think because of that and because it was my first full-blown live series you know next generation has a special spot in my heart for that it also is the one that really you know pushes forward with so many characters that then developed later granted you could say everything originated from the original series of course but because time-wise it's more connected you know Next Generation overlapped into DS9 and DS9 into Voyager and Voyager. You know, they all kind of piggyback against each other. They're, they're so connected to that show. Way more, I think, than connected to the original series. And now, with shows like Discovery and Picard, you know, especially Picard, it is, it is Picard. It, it could not be a bigger or a more obvious sequel to Next Generation because those characters are next-gen characters. So... I'm just trying to give you guys a little bit of a background that I, that my opinion is a little biased on this series because it is my favorite one. However, I don't know exactly, you know, if I start counting episodes by episodes, I haven't done the math. I have not because I'm still in the process of researching this. As of today, I am in the fifth season of Voyager that I'm rewatching. I'm rewatching everything. I rewatched Next Gen, DS9, and I'm almost done with Voyager. And as I watch these episodes, I try to make little notes of which are my favorite ones, which are really good episodes. And that's how I'm coming up with this list. You know, I never bothered to do this. I mean, I've seen on the internet a million, oh, top 10 Star Trek episodes or top five or top 25, you know, whatever. But yeah, I mean, those are good for, for reminding you of some of those good episodes that you that might coincide with your personal list. But this is my personal list. And I'll try to give you a little background on those episodes. Encounter of Farpoint. Well, Encounter of Farpoint is funny because because it is that first episode, you know, that first, first episode of Next Generation where we meet all these characters, it gets a lot of credit for being that episode. However, when I look back at that episode, it is very rough. It is a freshman effort, <laughs> you know. The characters are not fully developed. And this is, I mean, this happens to every show. Pretty much every show that when you have a new property out there, a new show, it might take some time to kind of you know catch your your you know get to catch your stride to to kind of get in gear in, in a good gear. And this is something that happened to Next Gen. A lot of people say it is that it took a few seasons for Next Gen to kind of start to feel comfortable and and you know peak the show lasted seven seasons, which most of them did. Most of the um, Modern Star Trek uh, television shows lasted seven seasons, but it took, I would say, two, maybe three seasons for it to really get cooking. However, 
even before that, there were still some good episodes. So I would say Encounter at Farpoint will get special credit or honorable mention, if you will, because it is the first one. And because it is such a high reference episode when it comes to the finale, the series finale, which I love so much more than this first episode. My first episode, I would say, of that first season that I really kind of enjoyed for different reasons is the battle. And on one hand, it's a silly episode because it involves Ferengi. And remember, the Ferengi were supposed to be the, the baddies and it didn't work out. The baddies ended up looking comedic and, and down the line, they became comedic characters. You know, even in DS9, they kind of started out as comedic characters, but DS9 did a better job with them. Eventually made you care for some of these Ferengi characters, but we're talking next gen here and next gen could never get off of that, making them look like these little trolls, like these evil little trolls and, and, and they were always screwing things up and being goofy and stuff like that. However, this particular episode has to do with Picard kind of reliving this traumatic experience he had, you know, where he, when he was much younger and when he was on the Stargazer, which I, I really enjoy. And this is part of something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, a show about the ships that our main characters served under before they made it to the Enterprise, for example, or DS9 or, boy, you know, before they were what they became, where did they start off ship-wise? It's a weird little uh, tangent that I'm going to end up going into sometime in the future. But this particular one has to do with the Stargazer, which is his previous ship. And what I really en enjoyed about this episode is the fact that you get to see a different kind of Federation ship. And it's the one, I believe, that he has on his office. He has a model of it. And the history of that model is something that I will go on when I do that special episode. But it is so weird how that model influenced the real one that was built for special effects and back and forth and how all those things change. But this is also the episode where we learn of the Picard maneuver. The real Picard maneuver, not the fake Picard maneuver. You guys might have seen one of my previous uh, shows having to do with uniforms and how Patrick Stewart kept adjusting his uniform because of the fact that they were so ill-fitted and uncomfortable. And they started to referring to it as the Picard maneuver. Well, no, this is the real Picard maneuver in the world of Star Trek where he... At a point where he, I guess his ship was being attacked by a Ferengi ship and the way that he was able to fool them was to look as if, as if they were in two places at the same time by performing some technological, you know, engineering wizardry, you know, that the ship was able to propel itself, thereby distracting them long enough to be able to destroy them and that sort of thing. But that is the one, again, where they do that that Picard maneuver. And, and I, I, I do enjoy it when you do get to learn a little bit about these characters. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a soft spot with me where you learn about their previous assignments and, and their earlier responsibilities, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, again, it's not an amazing episode, but it is memorable to me, at least, you know, it was, it was kind of neat that they were able to, do, you know, it has this whole thing, this whole mind control thing where he's being controlled or he's being influenced and he's starting to think he's losing his mind or whatever, but it was just the Ferengi trying to get revenge for, I think, the killing of his son or his brother or something. I don't know. All I know is that this is where the Picard maneuver came from and I enjoy it. 
And that was episode 110. Next, we have Data Lore, episode 114. This is the beginning, and this is a, a, the beginning of exploring the, the character of Data as to his origins. And this is a very important episode if you think about it, because it spawned off so many other storylines in the series. Any storylines having to do with his brother Lore, Dr. Noonien Sung, a lot of the stuff that's happening now in Picard, a couple of the movies have to do with his origin, you know, there's so much data origins uh, stuff that starts with this episode that it, it to me it becomes a very important episode and you and for an actor you know you could kind of tell actors love to do the good guy evil guy you know the the evil twin thing well this is where Brent Spiner gets to do that he gets to flex his muscle and be the evil robot you know and here's where it starts and you could tell he's having fun with this character and you know to be able to let an actor kind of stretch their talents and you know flex their muscles if you will it's really good and and like i said this is the beginning of that this is where it all starts that's a pretty good episode and again this is season one which which is considered to be a a not so great season episode 119 coming of age this is an interesting episode and not so much for me for the a story as you guys know most episodes you have an a and a b story sometimes even a c story Your A story is your main story, then you have your B story, secondary storyline. But for me, it's the B story that I really enjoy the most. The A story has to do with Wesley uh, applying for the Academy, I think. And so he's he's taking certain tests, uh, you know, he's competing with these other candidates. And eventually, I think in the episode, he loses out. He doesn't get to be chosen or something like that. Another person beats him at, at, you know, being smarter than him or something, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point here is that this is the beginning of the B story having to do with Starfleet coming into the ship to kind of test out Picard's loyalties. They're allegedly investigating something going on, some mysterious thing going on that they want to know how loyal Picard is. And they kind of try to investigate him, you know, having to do with previous events that took place to see, you know, how he reacted to certain things. And... Again, it's a very quiet episode that they're kind of just laying the groundwork for another episode that's coming up later that is going to be a little more important. And, and again, another setup for a potential new bad guy for the series. At this point, I would kind of jump all the way to episode 125, which is called Conspiracy. Now, with Conspiracy, you have the culmination of of these little crumbs that started out on that previous episode where we learn about this infiltration in Starfleet. And again, they they keep investigating him and trying to figure out. And then we realize, wait a minute, no, he is the one who is not <laughs> being investigated, but he is the one that's being probed to see if they can convert him. And it is a very good setup. You have some Starfleet characters, high-ranking characters who are inhabited by these creatures, these alien parasitic creatures that are kind of taking over their bodies. And it's a very like horror-ish theme, uh, a little bit of the thing kind of thing, kind of thing. The special effects, I mean, there's this effect at the end where they kill this guy that they 
hit him with a phaser or something and he kind of disintegrates but you kind of see his skeleton and his organs and all it's really gory for for television if you think about it i mean you look at it now and it kind of doesn't hold out too well it's a pretty cheap effect but what's interesting about this episode is that it more or less was a season fin i mean i know there's one more episode after that but it's the type of episode where it's kind of like Okay, they discovered what this big threat was, but it kind of goes nowhere. You think that this is the beginning of a bigger plot line that's about to follow in the next season, but I pretty much think they kind of scrapped it. At some point, they decided it's not worth it, and they're not evil enough or potentially a a good enough foe, you know, for the crew of the Enterprise to be used as a follow-up bad guy. A little bit like the Ferengi, I imagine, where they initially thought this was going to be it. The Ferengis are going to be the next Klingons, you know, the next big baddies, but they didn't work. And here they have these guys, and I think they kind of run into that same problem. Luckily, this time around, they didn't have to kind of tease those characters many, many times. They only messed with them once or twice. But by the time we get to the end of the season, and by the time we begin the second season... They've already kind of discarded these characters, so it's like, wow, they kind of abandoned that plot line. Up next, we move to season two, and my first episode that I have on the list is episode 132 called Loud as a Whisper. Now, Loud as a Whisper is more of a bottle show, if you will. You have your episodes that are kind of like part of a series of episodes, like an arc, like arc episodes, or continuing, they're arcs, but they're not continuous arcs. You know, you might get one here, skip, 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 another here, skip, skip, you know, an, a, a long stretched out arc or a condensed arc. Loud as a Whisper is your standalone. If this was X-Files, you know, X-Files, you have your mythology episodes, space, UFOs, and then you have your creature of the week. This is more of a creature of the week, if you will, if you if you understand the, the jargon of how these episodes are categorized or could be categorized. Loud as a Whisper is an episode that deals with a negotiator that Starfleet brings to this planet that they're having a war. And the way that he works, he's he's mute. He can't talk, but he has this chorus of people that talk for him. So he communicates telepathically with them. And something goes wrong where one of the warring factions kills his chorus, his group. And he completely loses confidence in not being able to do his job. And through his relationship with Troy, I think, he she kind of talks them back into getting in there and doing it without the chorus, trying to make them communicate. And the episode wraps up in a somewhat of a nice little package where he commits himself to staying with these warring factions and to them for them to learning his language as part of the process of peacemaking. We never know what happened. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if, if you're a super fan, you can find out if it was ever referenced before, you know, later in the series, whether or not it succeeded or they killed him or he he pulled it off. I don't know. But it's a really entertaining episode. And, then, you know, I found it I found it really good. Episode 139, A Matter of Honor. This is a neat little episode where it's kind of like the exchange student theme where the Enterprise gets a... Um, a Benzite character, creature, person, 
<laughs> which we've seen before. You know, we've seen them in that one of those other episodes I mentioned before where they had the uh, Starfleet competition with the with the young kids and Wesley, and he competed against the Benzite. Well, Starfleet gets a Benzite. I don't know, exchange student, let's say, to come aboard the ship to kind of learn things. And he's having a real tough time. But more important, I think the A story is Riker is an exchange officer in a Klingon ship. So this was really cool because all of a sudden he has to adapt, you know, to Klingon rules, which is the complete opposite of everything that he does at the Enterprise. He's constantly fighting and constantly in this aggressive kind of environment, which is part of that Klingon culture. And it's really, really neat how they have to kind of, you know, make him do these things because he's trying to be a good officer in the eyes of the Klingons. And obviously, you know, this is Star Trek and it's very dramatic. So he gets, we get to a point where he actually has to kind of almost fight against the Enterprise. You know, he's got to, he's got to order, I think, the firing on the Enterprise or some silly thing like that. And, you know, obviously he figures out a way of, of, of not having to do that and not kill anybody on the Enterprise. But he has to do it in a way where it doesn't dishonor, you know, his Klingon crew and his captain and all that stuff. So it was a cool little episode. And, you know, whenever we got to see, especially at this stage, whenever we got to see more of the Klingon culture, it was always a plus. And the people realized that, yeah, people loved the you know, the Klingon stuff. So they started giving us more and more Klingon-centric episodes. But this was cool because he had to pull it off. And again, you know, he has to do it. And you know he's going to win. You know, you know he, he's going to accomplish what he set out to do. But at the same time, he has to be successful at it. He can't just flop. But this was a cool one. Episode 135, The Measure of a Man. Okay, now this is a really, really good episode. And once again... Uh, when it comes to data, a very super important episode, not only for the continuity of the character during this particular series, but now with Picard, this is so important, this episode. This is an episode where you have basically a Federation scientist comes on behalf of the Federation to determine whether or not data is a sentient being. And what he's proposing is that he basically wants to dismantle Data and study him. And the crew of the Enterprise, obviously, they don't want that. Picard doesn't want that. Riker doesn't want that. But what it ends up being is a procedural episode, kind of like a trial has to be done, where Picard is representing Data and Riker is representing the Federation on behalf of the Federation, on behalf of this doctor, Dr. Maddox, who shows up there as the person who's going to dismantle Data. And when it's all said and done, it is basically determined that, yes, Data is a sentient being, and they can't take him apart. So this doctor leaves upset, you know, unhappy of the fact that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. But it's interesting that during the show, we do at least at one point hear how Data is still keeping in touch with this doctor to kind of help him out on his research, obviously without letting him being taken apart, but in giving him information and data, data, information and research, you know, to help him with his studies. Super important flash forward to today with Picard, where this doctor returns, played by a different actor, and the storyline is you know, knee deep, waist deep in robotics and data and this doctor. So super, super important. A great episode. You know, whenever you have a courtroom scene and and the cool thing is how Riker has to be the kind of prosecutor. So he has to act in that manner. He has to 
act against Data and Picard because that's his role. And it's that's really, really interesting how they did that. Really, really good episode. Times Squared, episode 139. All right, Times Square is the type of episode that I it seems to kind of fall into some of my favorites, and that is the time travel episodes, but the smart time travel episodes, because there are plenty of bad time travel episodes. This one is more having to do with the Enterprise recovers a shuttlecraft with Picard, even though Picard's already in the ship, and they're trying to figure out why is it that this particular Picard, you know, he seems to be unconscious, is a duplicate of the Picard they know. And little by little, what they figure out is that this Picard basically came from the future, but only a couple of hours into the future, and that somehow in this future, the Enterprise was destroyed. And part of it also has to do with Picard engaging the future Picard at a certain point when when, when the future Picard is able to kind of awaken from this weird coma he's in, and how different they are and how weak one is than the other, where at a certain point, present Picard has to shoot down future Picard and bring him into the vortex, this vortex that's forming, in order to kind of set things straight again. Plenty confusing, but a very fulfilling, you know, time travel kind of episode. Up next, still from season two, we have Q Who, episode 142. This is another episode that, well... It's good in many ways. It further develops the character of Q, the mischievous (laughs) Loki kind of character, if you will, that will continue to visit the Star Trek environment many, many times through many, many versions of Star Trek. But here, you know, what's very important about this particular episode is that we do get the introduction of the Borg. So it's the end of season two. It's getting close to the end of season two. And... You can kind of tell the writers are trying out another new bad guy. And, you know, will this new bad guy work? And it worked fantastically this time around. The third time around, (laughs) they kind of figured out a good bad guy to have. But here we get just a taste of it. And it has to do really with Q kind of showing the Enterprise crew a preview of what's waiting for them, you know, as part of their space exploration, he kind of propels them forward far enough so they can kind of see what these bad guys that are on their way are like. And what's interesting is that Guinan seems to know Q very well. She is familiar with his mischievous personality. By this point, Whoopi Goldberg has joined the show. But what's what's really important here is the fact that the Borg are finally revealed. So we have the first incarnation of the Borg. We have the first time we see the cube. We have the first number of Borgs that are beaming into the Enterprise and hacking into the software to investigate what the Enterprise is all about. The established rules of Borg are kind of put together on this episode. The fact that you know, you can hit one, they fall, you know, they fall flat. But after this, the first one, they start to adapt to, you know, whatever frequency that their phasers are being used. And what's really cool is something that they really didn't use later on, or they, they modified it. And that is their shielding was very box and blockish. If you guys remember the movie Dune, ironically, Patrick Stewart was in it. There are these sequences where some of the fighters can activate shields and the shields are very blockish. Uh, pseudo CGI. I don't even know if CGI was 
that sophisticated back then. But here they, they do use that animated blocks of shielding, which is really, really cool looking. I don't think they use them in that manner in the future ones. But at least at this point, you get the beginning of the Borg and, and the general rules of, of what these characters are going to look like. So you get the initial costumes and which, again, as the show progressed, especially once the movie uh, First Contact came out, they advanced, uh, you know, those costume designs so much more realistic, so much more almost like uh, A.G. Geigerish looking by the time we get to the movies. But here you have the basic building blocks of what these Borgs look like. So they do have this confrontation with a cube and they, they're they able to kind of womb the cube. And at, one, at some point they actually go in the cube and they realize they're not dead. They're just kind of regenerating. And, you know, Data has to get the hell out of there fast. But they, he does find this, this section where they have like Borg babies being made. <laughs> really creepy looking stuff. So this is, uh, you know... Like I said, this is the first time that we get to experience these ones. And it was all part of, you know, Q's plan to give them a preview of this this new enemy that's awaiting for them in the, in the far, you know, expanses of the universe. Okay, let's move on to season three. My first episode on season three is episode 158 called The Defector. This is an interesting episode. Basically, it's about a defecting Romulan who is coming to the Federation to meet up with the Federation to give them information about what's going on with the Romulan government and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, we still have this Cold War that we've always had with the Romulans. And the season ended with a cliffhangery kind of, uh, you know, the Romulans are back kind of thing. Which, again, I, I was wondering at the time if that was a an attempt to kind of course correct once again because of the fact that their primary bad guys were not very effective up to that point. However, the episode did come right after that final season one episode where, you know, the Romulans are back, you know, back to the old baddies, you know, kind of thing. You know, okay, I guess you, you have to kind of place possible bad guys along the way to try to test them out. I mean, I don't know if that's how calculated the writers were in terms of being able to test them one at a time or, or put them all in play at the same time and see which would hit and which would not hit, you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, this particular episode is very good. You know, the, the actor that plays the lead, Romulan, he's an actor that will show up in Star Trek again as a different character, you know, that he's that good of an actor. The whole episode is basically about trying to figure out, you know, first of all, whether this guy's lying or not, whether he's really a defector, should they trust him? You know, and, and most of the episode, you know, you kind of see that he's trying to, and you know, he he seems very honest and, and he's trying to convince everybody of what's going on. And, you know, you get to a point in the episode where by the time they do realize what's happening in terms of him being honest about what he's doing, and you, you go through the, the, the whole process, the whole episode with that to the point where you finally do believe him and are on his side and, you know, the Romulans apparently catch up to him. And now you have your major confrontation, you know, on the episode where Picard has to defend this guy. And the, the big twist of the episode is that this was a plan all along. He is a defector, but they let him defect just to be able to trap, to, to snare you know, the Enterprise or the Federation into into a situation where they force them to, you know, a confrontation. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil the whole episode. It has a very tragic 
ending from what I remember. And uh, the fact that this guy was tricked and he finds out that they let him escape on purpose. They let him defect on purpose where he kind of realizes that he all that he did, all that he sacrificed, you know, to be able to go, you know, to the uh, to the Federation was really for nothing because they were they had planned it all along. So it's a it's again it's a very good episode and you get into the the mindset of the Romulans which is really good and, and how they established this particular race of foes, you know, um, in the lore of Star Trek. It's re- really really good. Episode 163, Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh boy. Well, Yesterday's Enterprise is a fan favorite for many reasons and <laughs> number 1 for me the fact that you're dealing with alternate timelines, that is such a, that's like catnip to me. <laughs> They're very basic in terms of when they show you this alternate timeline of this particular enterprise that is in another timeline that happens to crash against a more or less the current timeline, how those two timelines seem to have collided with each other and all of a sudden they're interacting in the same timeline. What you're dealing basically is an alternate timeline where I guess the Romulans are a little more successful in their conquering of the universe. And this, this is an enterprise that is more militaristic and war wary than, than the current enterprise or the current timeline. And as these two collide with each other, you know, they're, they're, they're all of a sudden they're in the same timeline. You know, we get to meet these characters. And one character that makes a return to the show that is very important is Tasha Yar. But this is a different Tasha Yar. This is a Tasha Yar from an alternate reality. Now, this one's a little confusing, but you have to kind of follow through. The episode begins with the Enterprise running into a ship through a, you know, your typical space anomaly, blah, 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 that seems to be from the Federation, but from the past, from, from, from earlier, from an earlier time. The trick here is that this Enterprise that we're on looks a little different. Everything looks a little darker, slightly different uniforms. The characters are acting slightly different. And they encounter this ship from the past that they're not sure how they got there. It's some kind of a battleship. And they don't know how they kind of met up with each other. But the main thing to keep in part is that our current crew already looks different than what we're used to. So... We're not watching this episode through the lens of our time. We're watching it already in a completely different location time-wise. So the episode deals more or less with them realizing that not only is this an unusual circumstance, you know, to meet up with the ship from the past that seems to have come out of some battle, but that they are also in the wrong place. Guinan seems to be the one, the anchor through this episode that is aware that something's wrong, that they're in the wrong place. And she's the one that eventually convinces Picard that certain things have to happen to reset everything. There was apparently a battle that was fought or not fought in the past that for whatever reason, by them not fighting that battle, that ship that came from the past, it affected the present, their present, thereby affecting it in this way that they're living in a completely new present. They surmise that this ship that came from the past was lost in some kind of a Romulan-Klingon skirmish that resulted in that ship being destroyed 
thereby affecting history so that you do have a, a truce, if you will, I guess, with the Klingons and that sort of thing. And because of that, that is why everything is different. So they kind of figure out that the only way to set things straight is to have that ship go back to where it came from and potentially die because that's what happened historically. It's, it's really a, a, a mind trip. In the beginning of the episode, we actually do see how uh, Guinan is the one that notices the change. Something goes wrong. You know, it could be it's and, and again, it's probably that moment where that ship appeared is what triggered everything to change in the Enterprise. One big noticeable difference that really blew away fans is that in this new alternate timeline that gets created, Tasha Yar is back. She had died a couple seasons ago. <laughs> if you guys remember, I think it was Skin of Evil, that episode where she falls into that creature, that goo, black goo creature, kills her, whatever. Um, she is back. And this won't be her only appearance. It's funny how some of these characters <laughs> return a number of times uh, after they already left the show. But yeah, by the time you get to the end of this episode, they kind of figure out that, yes, we have to set everything straight. And the way to set it straight is to do send it back. And they do have Tasha go to the other ship to help them fight this final battle. Because she even feels, after a while, you know, after talking to Guinan, that she doesn't even belong in this timeline. Even though it's an alternate timeline, she, she keeps saying that she shouldn't be alive. That something's right. And that's right, because she had died previously. So even her being there could be affecting their true timeline. Again, great episode. It's got that twisty, you know, mind-bending time travel thing that I love that it's smart. It's confusing at first, but when you really, really examine it, it makes sense. It follows logic. And, and I love those kind of, you know, alternate timeline, time travel episodes. Episode 166, Allegiance. This is a... Um, in a way, it's a simple episode because it's almost like a play. You're watching a play. Picard wakes up in this more or less holding cell, modern, you know, technologically advanced holding cell, uh, alongside three other captors, uh, them being from different races, and they just don't know what they're doing there. And none of them know how they got there, first of all. But with Picard always being, you know, the leader, he tries to bring out that leadership quality in him to try to get them all to collaborate and trying to figure out a way of getting out. And the episode goes through the, the, the usual stages of everybody's suspect, everybody is acting weird, everybody, you know, there's one guy, a Nausicaan, I think, I could be wrong, I get, I get, I confuse the Nausicaans with those other guys. Anyway, no, it's not a Nausicaan. This big guy, he kind of looks like an Osican, but he's slightly different. It's a different type of character, but it's a big kind of hulking, menacing. You know, it's actually a Chalnoth named Isak. Isak, I remember, was the name on the action figure. That's why it was hard to remember. And he tells everybody already that if he doesn't eat like in another <laughs> day or two, he's going to start killing everyone because he can't help himself. You have a uh, kind of like a, a logical character there too who's very uh afraid and scared and then you also have an ensign a star freelancer because he's she's wearing the same uniform as picard but she is a i think she's a bolian again I, I could be getting the names wrong it's that blue race that seems to have like a, a demarcation right down the middle of their face the the barber the barber the guy who cuts everybody's hair at the enterprise he's he's from that blue race so while this is going on 
the B story, which is really the, the this is really one story, but it's being told in two different places, is that there is a duplicate of Picard in the Enterprise, and people are starting to notice that he's acting kind of weird, <laughs> little by little as you get through that those forty five minutes, and. You go through all of these, you know, situations where they're trying to get out and they're trying to open the door and they're successful and they're not successful, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And little by little, they do realize or he realizes by the end that the cadet, that character, that young cadet, Bolian, she really is the captor. They, they realize, they find out, they figure it out that she is the one that's keeping them all there. And Picard is able to then, you know, at some point to return to his ship and, encounter, you know, confront his double. And it turns out that these are a race, apparently, that are studying how humans or different creatures deal with the concept of authority and that kind of thing. So they do resolve it by the end. But it's, it's, a, it's a good guess who the traitor is kind of um, episode. Uh, and I, I really enjoy that one. Up next, we have The Best of Both Worlds. Now, I'm going to treat The Best of Both Worlds almost like one episode, because it's a part one and a part two. Part one was technically the last episode of season three, which is episode 174. And part two is the premiere of season four, episode 175. Best of Both Worlds is probably on any and all, I would imagine, Next Generation fans list, top 10, top 5 lists of um, favorite episodes. We've gotten the introduction of the Borg through earlier episodes I mentioned. I think it was Q Who was the one that I, I talked about before. Best of Both Worlds is when you really get out there. This is where you have the major, major confrontations taking place. The Federation finally engaging the Borg for the first time. Uh, having a, a huge, huge battles, the Enterprise trying to stop them and they can't, and then they get the Federation gets slaughtered in the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, I think it was. But the episode Part One, and it's a good thing they split it into two parts because the episode builds, 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 keeps building. You know, it's like a, it's almost like a a, a mini series or, or or a TV movie, if you will, because that's how big of an episode it is. Uh, at first, you have them acquiring so much data about what's happening, these worlds that are getting devastated and they haven't really encountered them yet or confronted them yet, and they're all preparing for it. You have Federation admirals, commanders, whatever, coming to the Enterprise to prepare them and to brief them and to get ready for the, you know, the, the real first confrontation. And they do start off with a confrontation with the board. And you also start to develop this confrontation between Riker and I think it was Shelby, the Federation uh, commander coming in to kind of prep everybody for what's about to happen. And those two just don't get along. You can tell they don't get along because she doesn't feel he's aggressive enough, you know, and that sort of thing. That he, you know, he never takes command. He never, he has not yet taken command of his own ship, and that kind of thing. And by the time you get to the end of the episode, they also kind of realize that the Borg have a new strategy uh, as far as the Enterprise goes. And that is, by the time we get to the end, they kidnap Picard. And wow, you know, it's like, oh crap, what do we do now? I mean, again, granted, this is a television, a dramatic television. So they kidnap him and they go out there, you know, uh, Shelby and Worf and, you know, the all, all our uh, away team, you know, all the main characters. They always send the main characters, which is completely, completely uh, 
unrealistic. But they, they send the main characters out there, and the episode ends with a shot of Picard that's been converted into a board. And all, and it's, you get a shot of Riker, you know, saying fire. So he's firing on the Borg ship that has Picard in there, you know, Borgified. And that was a season finale. And you have to imagine, that is a perfect, perfect cliffhanger. That's a perfect clip. Everybody who's into the show is like, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that, you know? <laughs> so this, the, the, the part one is, is the buildup. Um, which was really, really good. Really, really good. The part two now deals with, okay, now what do we do? Not only are we in an all-out war with the Borg now, but at the same time, you know, the Enterprise wants to attempt a rescue because they want their captain back to see if they can cure him. So while they're all preparing for a major battle that's about to happen because the Borg now are heading towards Earth. They're about to, you know, they want to invade Earth, obviously. And Picard is going to be like their vessel or their their spokesman to, to the human race or to the Federation, if you will. And as the episode progresses, we do see how on the way to Earth, you know, they're just completely obliterating any defenses that they have to the point where... It looks like it's going to be, you know, it's, it's the incredible peril and we're going to, we're going to get obliterated. And the Enterprise manages to confront that particular Borg cube and they infiltrate the cube and they figured out a way of getting Picard back. And they bring him back to the ship and they start working on a way to, um, adjust them to take all these implants they put on him and and kind of bring him back to being a human being and 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 there is a process to this thing and even and they also figure out a way of well maybe while he's still kind of borgish we can do something and again this is the the MacGuffin of how to get out of this mess they figure out a way of him being able you know with data's help to being able to tell the ship to destroy itself to you know stop the attack and the ship can just shut itself down and not, you know, destroy anything else uh, on its way to Earth. So they, they kind of figure that out. And by the end of the episode, you know, the attack is averted. Granted, the, the Borg are still out there. <laughs> They're still out there, believe me. But that's how they resolve this. But what's really, really interesting is that this leads to future episodes, especially the next one, where by the time Picard has been healed, he still has certain elements of, you know, Borg or medical repair attachments on his head and parts of his body to still help him heal from all of those uh, biological implants that they put on him and, and the psychological effect of what he just did because he basically was the, the lead ship that obliterated a good chunk of the uh, Federation fleet. Again, great two-parter. It is probably on the top three or the top. I mean, again, you, if you consider it one big episode, it, it is probably in the top three or the top five of Next Generation episodes. All right. Up next, we have episode 178, Family. This is also a very high-ranking episode uh, for TNG. It is the direct follow-up to Best of Both Worlds Part 2. And... This is a very character-developing kind of episode. It is so direct to Best of Both Worlds, having to do primarily with Picard's 
situation and relationship with his brother in in France. I mean, he is back on Earth to recover, uh, you know, from his injuries as as Locutius, and we get to explore the tense relationship that he has not only with his brother but as a whole with with his background with his upbringing the fact that he didn't get along with his father and his brother kind of went in the direction of his father and he and picard kind of went in a completely different direction he wanted to get out there is a b story in this episode with Worf being visited by his adopted parents and how uncomfortable he is with them there and that kind of stuff but the forefront story is is the picard story and it is so well done and connected again to this whole issue of in a way it's it's a little bit of ptsd and coming to grips with how he feels and how his brother feels about him and how they dislike each other and how luckily by the end of the episode they kind of come to terms and they kind of make a connection that they apparently never had and even picard is willing to kind of release all these emotions that he has uh, all this guilt and anger and suffering that he has been going through as a result of what the Borg did to him. Very, very high-ranking episode. I think this is one of those that you will find in many, many, you know, top 10 kind of lists. Up next, episode 182, Future Imperfect. This is a really kind of twisted, you know, false ending under a false ending under a false ending kind of episode. What attracted me the most to it, as usual, is the fact that the episode is basically Riker, all of a sudden, through some mishap, wakes up in what appears to be the future. And in this future, you have the characters that we know in future roles, I guess. You know, Crusher is doing something different, kind of, and Picard is a, a higher-up individual. Jordy, uh, he has actual real eyes, and a lot of people are wearing different uniforms, you know. They, they, they really, it's funny, because a lot of these future-ish episodes, they really don't have the budget to go all out and create brand new sets, so the way that they kind of make up for it is by taking something very small and making it different. So in this particular case, they're all wearing the insignia, the communicator, and it's got a different shape to it, a slight different shape, a little alteration to it. Uh, this is the episode where we meet Red Data, which is the, uh, Data in a red costume. I mean, I know it's credited as it being, uh, I think, Chain of Command, which we'll talk about later, but this is the Red Data episode if you are a fan of the Playmate uh, Star Trek action figures. You have a Ferengi pilot in full uniform in this future version of the world. Picard, you know, he has a goatee and he's, I think he's an admiral or something. I don't know. And Troy is there. And it's all about him trying to regain his memory. But little by little, he starts to feel like this isn't right. It's the typical, you know, this isn't exactly right. Somebody's playing games with me. So he finds out through this process that he is being manipulated by some kind of a Romulan game to get him to reveal some important logistical information, I think. And along the way, he also, in this new futuristic environment, he has a son. And then, you know, as he's realizing that the Romulans are behind this whole thing, he figures out that the son is actually kind of working just like everybody else, somehow, if they're real or not or whatever. It's all something that they're playing with his head, because even his son, uh, he's pretty much convinced, is 
part of this hoax that they're trying to uh, get him to believe. Riker finally figures out what the problem is because his future wife ends up being a holographic version of a woman that he was kind of flirting with, that he has flirted with in the past. But in this futuristic version, because they extracted it all from his mind, they made her a real person. And that's how he's like, that's it. This is exactly, you know, he figures it out. This isn't real because this person was a hologram. And now they're trying to convince me that she's a real person. The twist at the end of this episode is that not only are they trying to escape, you know, he and his son uh, try to escape this Romulan complex, but by the time they get out, Riker is starting to feel that there is still something wrong here. Something is just not quite right. And the surprise here is that the kid is really an alien creature that I think he's like all alone in this planet or something, which is where Riker officially was uh, exploring or something like that. And that he has basically created this imaginary world for Riker to kind of help him keep him company, you know, because he's all alone. And the episode basically ends with him, you know, being brought, I guess, off camera to the Enterprise. He's he's kind of rescued this alien from this planet that, you know, he's been, I guess, stranded on or something. And he can't, you know, he can't find his own mother or something like that. So it's a cute little ending to it. And I understand why you would do that for storytelling purposes in terms of the normal pattern for an episode like this would have been it's all a Romulan trick. You know, they're trying to extract information from you. And that's how it would normally would have played out. But by adding that extra little thing at the end, that forget it, it's not even that. It's a, it's a, it's a trick inside a trick. You know, it's, it's, it's something like, it, it makes it a little more fresh and new and believable, if you will, because it's not like they're falling for the same old thing. You know, they're trying that same old trick all the time. Personally, like I said, for me, whenever you're dealing with futuristic whatever, I love it because the the creative part of costumes and technology and people and all that kind of thing where where they, they try to imagine what these futuristic ones would look like to me it was great being able to see all these known characters you know under a different look the wounded episode 186 this is an episode uh, having to do with the Federation teaming up with the Cardassians in order to track down a possible renegade Federation officer. Now, this is probably one of the first times, if not the first time possibly, that we see Cardassians and, and we start introducing the idea of Cardassians. Again, they're trying out new bad guys. Not sure if the intent was that this was going to be a future bad guy to be used you know, on other shows or, or even within Star Trek uh, Next Generation itself, which they did. Obviously, they did. But we're basically, like I said, introduced to two Cardassian officers that are there to track down the possibility of this Federation officer that has gone rogue and has apparently, I don't know if he's attacked or is about to attack. And, and you know, the, because we're on this post-war footing, it's, uh, you know... Uh, it's an agreement that they have. What's interesting about this episode, visually anyway, is that it is the early stages of the Cardassian design. So the uniforms really don't look too much like they end up looking later. The face makeup is 
kind of there, but not entirely. And they're also wearing these weird helmets that cover their face in a bizarre way. Mark Alamino, who ends up being Ducat, I believe, in DS9, plays one of the officers, but obviously he doesn't play Ducat. He plays, you know, some other weird Cardassian. But it's really interesting that this is the beginning of, of the Cardassians we, we later get to know. The way that the story is structured is that this renegade officer served with O'Brien. So O'Brien becomes the bridge, if you will, for Picard to be able to get him to help get in contact, you know, with this other officer. And eventually, after a lot of shenanigans, talk him out of it. You know, he has his own reasons. And, you know, the Cardassians are doing this and they're doing that. And they're, you know, and, and but at the last minute, they're able to kind of diffuse the situation. But the episode kind of ends with, all right, everybody's going back to their little corners. And even O'Brien, who seems to be a character that they're also developing as somebody who has, who's got a lot of hostilities and bad feelings pent up about his experience with, with Cardassians. You know, they're, they're able to calm everyone down. And Picard is aware and makes it clear to the Cardassians that even though, you know, the guy did go rogue, the, the kind of stuff that he was looking for and the proof that he was looking for, he kind of believes them. And I, I don't know if he exactly had found that proof or not, but it kind of puts the Cardassians on the defensive a little bit in terms of they can't just flaunt this and say you know, become some kind of propaganda thing against the Federation. It's kind of like, yes, we did stop our guy, but our guy actually did find something that you guys were not supposed to be doing. So it's kind of like a, um, a stalemate, if you will. You know, they're creating with this episode this hostility, which is kind of like a Romulan-ish hostility. This is a story, a very fitting story for a Romulan plotline, but I guess with the Romulans, we're already there, and we've always been on this edge of war footing with Romulans, so with the Cardassians, by creating a, a new bad guy who has that whole distrust thing going on, it lets us explore that relationship and lets us get to it without having all this history that's already been established by not only the original series, but this new series, they can kind of create it from scratch with a different race at this point. Redemption, episode 200. And this is technically part one, which is also a season finale. This episode deals with Worf and his Klingon heritage very, very deeply. In a way, it's a little bit of a continuation of an ongoing story. You know, we all know about his disgraced family lineage and all that stuff, that he, he doesn't have the house name, blah, 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 whatever. This has to do with Picard being brought to the Klingon home world because they need him to continue with this ceremony, this rite of succession that he was part of during a previous episode, uh, where he's going to formally install Goron as the, the new leader. However, word comes that the lineage, you know, the ability for him to become leader is being challenged by the Dura sisters. The Dura sisters is another set of kind of wacky Klingon women, part of the Duras family. And they are able to come up with this young guy who is like, he's the rightful heir. He should have been the one. So it's all about this challenge to the to the rightful heir. And Worf is brought in because, you know, he's asked to kind of help with this whole situation. Now, 
Worf's brother is involved in this because Worf tries to kind of and and more or less successfully talks him down from joining the other side of this. He Worf is still siding with Goran, even though Goran has really screwed him over royally. Uh, but because of this, the opportunity for Worf to get his name back if he helps him with this whole situation. And the episode is about basically trying to figure out the plot to trying to mess this whole thing up and the scheming of the of the of the Duras sisters and everything. But throughout the story they start to kind of learn about that the Romulans are involved in this somehow. They're the ones who are connected to the Dura sisters to try to cause chaos in the Klingon Empire by disrupting this this um, right of succession, by inserting themselves secretly. Uh, what's cool about this episode is that, like I said, you get so much of that Klingon heritage and the, the, all their rules and their, their ceremonies and all that stuff. And, and Worf, again, he, he is the, uh, the, the, I don't want to say a perfect character, but he is this, 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 you know, the warrior that for the sake of the empire will, will sacrifice everything about him. You know, that, that he, he, he shows in this episode how he's, more or less the ideal Klingon and how everybody else around them, the other Klingons, are behaving ridiculously. And he, who is the outsider, he is the outcast of everything. He's been, you know, pushed aside. He is the one that is acting with the most honor, which is the whole, you know, it's the whole Klingon thing. Anyway, by the end of this episode, um, the, the Garon gets uh, nominated and he becomes uh, the, uh, the leader and... And Worf, in the process, resigns his commission because he wants to serve the Klingon Empire, and he walks out in full Klingon uh, outfit, which is like, oh my god, it's finally Worf as a full-blown Klingon, you know, to help protect and support uh, Garon. Uh, but the twist ending here, because this is a two-parter, again, a season finale, is that we get to meet some of the Romulans that are behind the scenes in this whole thing. And one of them is what looks like to be a Romulan version of Tasha Yar. You're like, what? What the hell is this? And that's the end of the episode. Again, the setup for this episode is much better than the continuation of the episode about how this Tasha Yar is from an alternate timeline that I think has to do with yesterday's enterprise out of all things in the world. But this, to me, the setup was way much better than the conclusion of this episode. It, it, it gave us so much Klingon backstory and machinations of how the government works and all that stuff. And that whole family feud, <laughs> if you will, you know, these these houses that are so powerful and how the power gets taken away and given and, and put back on some of these other families. Really, really good episode. All right, we're moving on to season five. With season five, as I mentioned before, it the, the season premiere with the continuation or the conclusion of the redemption storyline. However, right out of that story, we jump over to Darmok. Again, we're in one of these stories now that is considered a classic. You are, you are going to find this one in a lot of people's top 10. Darmok is episode 205. 
And this is the one where Picard is mysteriously transported to this alien planet alongside with another creature alien that he is having a very difficult time communicating with. You know, they first meet in space, you know, ship to ship, but very quickly they end up in this planet together. And they cannot seem to be able to beam him back into the ship. They are in this kind of like a stalemate uh, scenario where both the captain of the alien ship and Picard are in this planet. Picard cannot tell what the hell this guy's talking about. The actor is famous actor, famous, famous film actor Paul Winfield, all dressed up in this alien uh, makeup. And they both seem to be in the process of not only trying to communicate with each other and talk, but they're also being hunted and attacked by this mysterious creature that is practically invisible. And the entire episode is that one of those episodes where you have enemies that are forced to work together. Now, these guys are not technically enemies, but because they don't know each other and because of the hostility of the planet, of this other creature, this third creature in the mix, that they cannot figure out what's going on. And little by little, Picard is able to kind of decipher the language. You know, it's not a normal language. It's it, it's something that it's kind of like um, symbolism and mythology and all kinds of uh, ways that you express yourself by saying something that sounds similar to it. They kind of figure out, he kind of figures out by this point, because things are getting very rough in terms of this other creature is hunting them down. He fatally wounds Darmok. And now I know I keep referring to him as Darmok, but Darmok is the name of the mythological character, I believe. The character's actual name is Dalthon, which it's a little confusing, but because of the episode of the name, that is the most relevant one. You know, Darmok and Tanagra, you know, that's those are the two mythical characters that they're portraying in this quest, adventure, you know, fight that they're having. Picard understands that this is a, like a mythological story, that they're recreating it there for them. And that's how, in their culture, in this particular situation, is how they will perform this first contact. Meet this new race and figure out whether or not they're worth their time, in a way. And they do become friends, unfortunately, at the last minute, because he is mortally, like I said, Darmok is mortally wounded, and Picard is about to get completely <laughs> destroyed by this creature, when at the last conceivable second, they're able to send him back, because he is able to talk, you know, to the other ship, and answer the questions that are being asked you know, of, of this, I don't know if it's a riddle or, or some kind of mythological story, but because he's able to finally communicate with him and figure out, decipher the, the manner of communication, you know, he is saved at the last minute and brought back to uh, the Enterprise. Very, very good episode. Disaster, episode 205. As I mentioned, we're in season five. Season five and season six are probably the best seasons because the show is operating, you know, on full cylinders here, as far as I'm concerned. The show took a while to, you know, pick up 
speed and pick up pace and good written stories, different stories. The characters are being well developed. And it is no wonder why I have so many episodes. You know, from my list, I usually have four or five episodes per season that I like. This one I have nine. And and, and season six, I also have nine. So it's no wonder that talk about a show that finally matured and is 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 working nearly perfectly. Disaster has to do with some kind of mechanical problem going on with the ship where the ship goes completely haywire and everybody seems to be stranded on different parts of the ship. So story-wise they're able to separate, you know, you end up with uh, another one of these situations where you have an A, a B, a C, a, you know, you have all these multiple storylines that are really the same story, but you're watching it being handled by different people in different locations. So one of them is Worf and Keiko, who is nine months pregnant, ready to give birth, stuck, I think, in the um, intent forward and how they're, you know, dealing with this while while they're trying to get, you know, the ship to power up properly again and let everybody out of their isolated sections. Jordy and Crusher are like near a, a, one of the bays and there is a, a, some kind of radioactive leak or something going on, you know, that they're, have to, they're working on that. But the best of all of these, I think, is the Picard story, which I think I, I would consider that the A story. And that is Picard is stuck in an elevator with three little kids who I think were like the winners of some kind of science experiment or something, some uh, the, the science fair or something like that. And they are very different personalities. You know, one's a know-it-all. The other one is very shy. And the other one is always challenging him or something. You know, it's really funny. And this further develops this, this character trait of, of Picard being somebody who's not very comfortable with children. That goes, You know, this goes along, you know, throughout the series and how he has to adapt and help them out. Now, all these stories, you know, intertwine with each other, overlap because you're you're watching everything happen. It's basically they they have a set amount of time to fix this problem before the ship explodes or something because, you know, the in in the loading dock, this this weird anomaly that's taking place is going to destroy the ship. So Jordy and Crusher are there and they have a point where they have to actually vent out you know, the loading bay and all the stuff starts flying out into space and they're able to close the door at the last minute at the end of the episode. You have Riker and Data also going through Jeffrey's tubes, trying to reach a section of the ship where they're trying to create a uh, like a short circuit and they use Data as the means of short circuiting, which, you know, he could die in this. So it's, you know, it's very dramatic and suspenseful. You know, will Data die as a result of this? And as I mentioned before, Throughout this whole thing, Keiko goes into labor and eventually gives birth. You know, O'Brien is not there. So eventually she gives birth and uh, Worf is there to uh, receive the baby. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Worf, who's like the most uncomfortable guy to be able to do this, ends up doing it. But like I mentioned before, the best of all of these stories is the Picard story because you have him trying to get these kids out of the elevator he's hurt so he can't really move around too much and he's trying to get the kids to get out of the elevator because i think he understands that elevator is not going to be there too long because i don't think there's some malfunction so he tries to talk them into leaving him there and climbing up by themselves and the kids they do the usual thing where it's like well no if you don't come with us we're not going and it's and it's good because if you want to be super melodramatic obviously you're not going to kill off the character but 
he's kind of like he kind of understands that he cannot stay behind. He has to push along with them, even though he doesn't feel he can do it, and he he's afraid. You know, he might put them in danger because he he couldn't move as fast. But he also understands that unless he does it, these kids are not going to get out of there. They're not going to leave him. So we do get you know a whole part of the episode of them climbing up and finally reaching an area of safety. You know, to get out of that elevator and. Just his uncomfortableness and his awkwardness with the children is one of the best parts of this episode. You know, having him uh, be so awkwardly uncomfortable with them. It's a great, great episode. Unification, part one and part two. Episodes 208 and 207. And the reason why the numbers are reversed, by the way, is because the episode numbers I'm mentioning is the order that these episodes were shot. And because this is an episode where Leonard Nimoy makes an appearance, they needed to shoot his first. So they ended up shooting part two first to be able to get all the shots of him in the episode. And then they shot part one. Anyway, we're going to treat it again as usual as one episode. This is an episode that gets further and further into the whole Romulan storyline. The whole thing basically deals with the fact that there's this secret mission that has been going on, I guess, with the Vulcans of trying to create an underground, uh, the possibility that they could somehow reunite the Romulans and the Vulcans, because obviously those are from the same uh, lineage, those two uh, races. And it involves Data and Picard infiltrating Romulan, uh, one, uh, a Rom, one of the Romulan planets, I guess, or Romulus. I don't know which which planet they're on, but they have to be in full Romulan gear and, and surgically altered and everything. And before going on this mission, um, he is visited by Sarek as he's basically uh, on his last days or, or minutes, you know, of his life, where he gives Picard you know, a message to give his son because he is uh, dying from some crazy Vulcan disease that we kind of was established on an earlier episode, I think was called Sarek, where where Sarek actually does make that full-blown episode uh, appearance. But here, he he's kind of here to say goodbye and to pass along this message that hopefully Picard can one day give to Spock. And a lot of this episode has to do with looking for this mysterious ship that eventually leads them, you know, to the Romulans, where he's going there undercover, and they find out that the mysterious ship is really a transport. Now, the reason why this whole thing gets triggered is because somebody is insinuating that Spock might have defected to the other side, to the Romulans, and they want to get to the bottom of this. And that's why Picard, you know, goes to his to Sarek's house and everything and tries to figure out what's going on. But by the end of the episode, when they actually do reach that area where the where the Romulans are and they infiltrate, you know, after the, but they have to jump through so many hoops to get there. They have to trace ships and ships and shipments are destroyed and things disappear and they go back and forth and back and forth. But by the time they actually reach that location, they're captured by Romulans who know that these guys are not real Romulans. And the person that's with them happens to be Spock. That leads you to part two, which is unification. And that's where we get the entire rest of the storyline of Spock being there 
as an emissary, if you will, to see if the underground movement, the underground Romulan movement, is something that could lead to the unification, finally, of the Vulcans and the Romulans, which led to the separation of that race. Now, what we do find, again, because we saw this on a previous episode that we talked about earlier, uh, having to do with, with Romulans, is that behind this scheme, behind this plan, there is a secret mission going on at the same time with the Romulans trying to plan an attack on Vulcan. While Spock is trying to help with one thing, the, the, the Romulans are trying to screw things up. And Sela, or Sela, Sela, uh, which is the character we talked about earlier, uh, uh, which is the Tasha Yar-looking character that's a Romulan, we do find out, you know, more details on that having to do with how her character is really the granddaughter of that Tasha Yar that went kind of back in time. It's really trippy how that happens. The bottom line is that with this episode, we get... Leonard Nimoy back as Spock. And whenever we get something like that, it's really something that elevates just about any episode to a higher notch. Just like the Encounter at Farpoint episode that I mentioned way, way earlier is because it becomes the first episode. The other bonus little thing is that we had Dr. McCoy make an appearance, DeForest Kelly. It was very brief. It was very sweet and short. But it it, it helps, you know, to give the, the, the episode extra points. And here's the same situation. Not only are we getting a lot of background into the mythology, if you will, or the um, history of Romulan culture and Vulcan culture and how those two interact and how they're screwed up, you know, politically, but we get Leonard Nimoy. We get any opportunity to be able to get Spock back back then was gold. The episode is resolved because at the last minute they're able to intercept this uh, invasion force and uh, they would rather the Romulans would rather than find out what happened they would rather just blow up their own ships it's one of those very you know cold-blooded decisions that the Romulans are always making and what's important here is that by the end of the episode you get an entire sequence of Picard being able to sit down with Spock and Spock through you know performing one of his famous mind meld, as you guys know, is able to pass along his goodbye message from his father, from Sarek to Spock. Again, this entire two-parter is worth it just for that, to be able to uh, have Picard use himself as a vessel so that his father can communicate with his son and say goodbye, you know, as he's was dying. It was a, a very super, you know, emotional scene, and it makes that whole two-parter worth it just for that. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We went through the first half of my favorite Next Generation episodes. Luckily, I was able to re-watch this whole thing. It's funny because a couple months ago when I was doing that Borg action figure episode is when I started to re-watch everything, and... It's been a really interesting experience rewatching not only Next Generation, but I rewatched DS9. I'm watching Voyager now. I'm going to go through everything given the current situation that we have of everyone being home from work due to social distancing and the problems that we're having with the coronavirus. Gives us a chance to uh, really catch up on uh, a lot of stuff like that and every now and then you know believe it or not I, I would find each, an episode that's like wait a minute I completely don't remember this episode from here or there so it's like interesting how sometimes it is possible that I might have missed an episode here or there but anyway join us next time because we will 
do the second half of these episodes. And the next episode is the one where we get to the really, really best episodes, in my opinion, you know, when the show really got crazy good. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. A savage kidnapping. You're holding our captain. I want him released. And Picard is forced to play a dangerous game of survival. No! Now there is only one way to bring him back alive. It's going to take me at least a full day to do it. Captain Picard could be dead by then. And it could lead to a full-scale war. Stand by to fire, Mr. War. We cannot survive another hit. Deadly encounter on another exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. <laughs>